Well, fall is, is full steam ahead, right? Moving forward, kids are in school. If you have kids in sports, sports are starting. College students, you're like, we're back in school. And it means that there's, you know, more things to happen, more things to do. You get really busy with your social life. You get busy with all the extra things that your work or your classes come with or, or every other aspect of life. There's all these things inundating us. And it's, it's, it's one thing after another, after another, after another. And what's crazy about fall is that, is that as busy as fall is, the church adds things to it. We, we just kind of find ourselves in this rhythm of chaos. Well, when fall finally starts to slow down just a little bit, guess what happens? The holidays set in, right? And so then the holidays start setting in, and you got all the craziness that goes with, with holidays and family and all that other stuff. And finally, when you get past the holidays, you find yourself just kind of skating and, and hoping to get to summer. And then once you make it to summer, the summer craziness sets in. And so for those of us that struggle with, or struggle with anxiety, I just kind of made you like, like you breathe a little bit. But see, the issue is, is that we operate like that over and over and over again. And I can't help but feel and acknowledge the fact that that's probably how we operate with God. In fact, most of us have this, this busyness in life where we feel like we need to keep doing more. In fact, let me, let me just ask a question. You don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to actually think about the answer, okay? How would you rank your relationship with God right now? Rate it. If you're going to say one being like, I don't know him at all, 10 being like, I'm practically Jesus Christ himself, like, how would you, how would you rate yourself there? Like, be honest a second. Like, start thinking about that. Would you say, I'm a seven, I'm a six, I'm a five, maybe a two? I don't know, like, where I am. Would you, how would you rate yourself and your relationship with God? Do you, uh, do you feel the push in your life to, to be reading more? to spend more time in God's Word, to, to maybe, you know what, I've been pretty, pretty poor in my attendance. I'm not really in a gospel community, so, I, you know, I'm only a Sunday church guy, person or gal. Like, I don't know. We, I'm never in His Word. I find myself struggling and struggling, and pretty soon you're, you, you find yourself needing to do more. In fact, just be real honest with yourself for a second. I bet you answered that question in regards to what you have done with God this last month. If, I, if you answer to three, it's probably because you're like, man, I haven't, I haven't been able to open his word in a month. I haven't spent any time in the scripture. The only scripture I get is whatever's shared on a Sunday, and, and I'm, just, I'm just dry here. And so my relationship with God is, is a three. There's no true application to this. Maybe you, you rate it on a feeling. I just don't, I don't feel very close to God. I'm not feeling very connected in my community. I'm, I'm kind of feeling like a, I'm isolated and on my own. And so your, your relationship with God then is, is a three or a four. My bet is no one here answered a nine or ten because we're all too humble for that, right? But in reality, the system we use to, to, to rate our relationship, to rate our, our walk with God is, is a very poor metric. You can't say that you're doing your relationship with God is great because you've been in God's word three times today and four times the day before. And man, it's just been like your prayer life has been amazing. So my relationship with God is good. If you base it solely on that, then when you're not in God's word, when you're busy, when things start falling apart, that number that was an eight starts working its way seven, six, five. In fact, the metric system doesn't work. It is valuable to, to, to attend a, a, a community on a weekly basis. It is valuable to be a part of the small C church, which is a part of the greater church. Like those are all valuable things, but they're bad metric systems. They're important when used in the right way. It's like if I said I needed to bake, which I don't do often, 
praise God for that, right? But, and I said, okay, we need, we need this much flour. And I decided instead of measuring it by cups or tablespoons or teaspoons, I said, I'm going to measure it by inches and just see what happens. Yes, inches is a measuring system, but it's the wrong measuring system. Just like us assuming our relationship with God is, is, is standard or set in place or quality or not quality due to how much we have done or not done. It's a, it's a bad metric system. I wrote it this way in my notes. I said our relationship with God is defined by what he's done, not by what we do. See, my, my relationship, my standing with God is not because of anything I do. Not because of anything I'm going to do. And the same applies for you. Our love of God is shown in what we do, but his love is shown in what he's done. And so if you've, if you've been here over the last two weeks, um, we've made it two weeks in the book of Ephesians, and we actually haven't gotten into the book of Ephesians, so that's been fun. Um, but <laughs> um, in the next decade, we'll finish this. Uh, we talked the first week about the Apostle Paul. And we shared with you guys about who he was and, and working through that. Dr. Voorhees last week schooled us on Ephesus and what was going on around that time. And today we're in chapter 1, verse 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The, the ushers will come up and hand one to you. Pull out your phone if you want to use it on that. And just do an app. That way that's fine too. But I would love for you, it's important to me that you actually are in the Scriptures today. So you need to have a Bible. You need to have something in your hand because it's important for what we're going to go today. You're going to get tested on that. Don't worry, don't, don't panic. It's not a pop quiz. This is a, an, an interesting section. Chapter 1 is, is essentially, if you haven't really noticed this or paid attention to it, chapter 1 is two run-on sentences. It's an absolutely horrible English grammar sentence, like, like that sentence I just did there. Okay, that was, that's exactly what this is. There, the, grammatically, this is a failure in our English language. Two very long run-on sentences. In Greek, it makes sense that it was done that way because there's a point that's meant to happen. In this first long run-on sentence, in this first sentence, Paul is actually praying. He's, it's, a, it's a eulogy. It's a, it's a, a prayer uttered where he's trying to depict the value and the beauty and the wonder of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's laying out this, after he just says who I am and where I'm going, he's laying out this incredibly doctrinally thick prayer. And, and my tendency and propensity is to come to this text and be like, man, we gotta, we gotta really like dig in and figure out what each of these things are. And actually, we really do. There's a lot of things in here that the scholars all disagree on that we're gonna spend a good amount of time over the next few weeks defining and working through. But here's, here's what we're gonna do today is we're actually not going to define any of those terms because, see, what the Apostle Paul does is, is, is really, really, really beautiful. And I think, in all honesty, as I've studied it in the past, I kind of missed this. And, and my hope is that, that maybe you guys are going to be like, well, I didn't miss that, so this is just, you know, kind of uh, backed up work for you guys to go, oh, yeah, okay, just remembering what, where it was. Or maybe you've missed it too. But the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus that is, that is, is, is not on point with who Christ is. He, he's, he's, he's trying to remind them who, he, who God is and what Christ has done and what that means for these individuals that are following Jesus. But what's, what's so beautiful and unique is Paul, the Apostle Paul starts this and he just kind of breaks into this overwhelming prayer where his desire is to bless God. And so he, he utters this long, beautiful eulogy about who God is and what he's done for us and how beautiful he is. And it's just this 
unbelievable thing. In fact, I, I feel like what the Apostle Paul's trying to do is he's trying to, to help, help, help the people in Ephesus to remember their first love. You know, I talked about how busy we are and how all of us have um, schedules that are crazy. And I, there's like, you, I'll just pick a, a college athlete, right? If you're in college right now and you're an athlete, your life is insane. Like you schedule 30 seconds for lunch. And it's like eating while you're doing something else, right? You're just, you're busy and you're busy and you're busy. Now, here's how I know that there's always room to rework work things in life. Let's say this college athlete guy is like, man, I'm so busy. I got school this day. I work this day. I do this this day. I'm in church this day. I'm doing all these things. And then she walks by. Now, isn't it interesting? Just, this isn't, this can't, don't see this all the way to God, but isn't it interesting how all of a sudden there's time in his schedule, right? When, when she comes along. He all of a sudden starts reorienting and rethinking his life. Okay, I can't, I only have 30 seconds of lunch, but I want those 30 seconds with her. And so he starts figuring out ways to, to bring her into the mix of it. And somehow she just kind of works. And it's not that he stops the sports or stops the school or the grades fall or any of those things. He's, he's faithful to follow through with that, but all of a sudden he creates space. Well, why would he do that? Because when you love, you reorient your thinking. And I think that's what, what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to remind people, like, look, that God loves you so well, so much, that when you love him back, you can't help but want to sit and meditate on that. You can't help but desire to be with him. But if it's just a task and it's just a thing to do, well, you're, you're going to tire out of that real quick. And so Paul's trying to remind them, look, you love God. He's, he's loving you. And so he lays this incredible, beautiful statement. And, and Paul, before it's even penned, is, he understands the whole theory and the thinking that John has in Revelations 5, 13. It is that every single thing will in one day or another bless Jesus Christ's name. Will bow down to him. Five thirteen says, And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, speaking of Jesus Christ, and to the Lamb being blessing and honor and glory and mighty forever and ever. Right? Paul is writing this letter, and he can't help but just start falling into the very, very posture in which all of us should have if we're followers of Jesus. This posture where every single aspect and fiber of our life wants to bless God because not out of duty or obligation or shame, but because we recognize just how much he's blessed us. So that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to do. So let's, let's read the scripture real quick. Um, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, we, we who are the first of, to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? As I was studying through this, I had to be honest with you, I, I, I realized that this is just such a thick section of scripture. 
honestly, when we were praying months and months ago about which book to go to, we, we landed on Ephesians. I was super excited about it until I started studying it, and then I realized just how difficult it's going to be to teach through. There's so much doctrine and so much theology, and I think it's valuable to study that, and it's valuable to work through that, but, but there are really, really smart scholars that land on different areas on, on the same scripture in this section. And as easy as it would be for us to move into this, I felt like today what we should do instead is, is go where the scholars agree. Dr. Voorhees mentioned this in, in, in statement last week where he said there's a kind of this, this rhythm in the book of Ephesians. It's this, first we must learn how to sit with Christ, and then we must learn how to walk with Christ, and then we learn how to stand with Christ. While we're sitting, we learn in that sitting posture to continue to walk, and while we're sitting and walking, we learn what it means to stand. And, and all the scholars and everyone that studied the scripture agrees that that's kind of this progression through Ephesians. Well, if you just look one page over to chapter 2, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this, um, verse 5 actually says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, verse 7, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so we see this, this, this picture of what does it mean to be seated. In fact, verse 1, chapter 20, Paul talks about Christ being seated at the right hand of God. And for us to understand what seated means, it's not just to sit down like you are right now. To be seated is actually to be aligned to someone. A union by association, companionship, resemblance, possession, completeness. We have been, we have been, com been made complete in Christ in our union with him. He says, raised with him and then seated with him. It's the same picture we get from baptism. To, 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 to die to ourselves like Jesus died and was buried in the grave, to be raised with Jesus Christ. And so you and I that profess Jesus Christ, we can stand in complete holiness, not by anything we've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. And so we have united ourselves with Christ. And the Apostle Paul is telling us to sit in that. If you've ever been in a room where someone's kind of worked up, what's the first thing people say? They say, hey, hey, sit, sit down, relax, calm. It's this idea of, of sitting, being present, waiting. If we were honest, I think most of us stink at that. I didn't realize just how bad I was at it until I was given a sabbatical and I was kind of had the space to sit. It was really hard to just sit and to meditate. But if we're honest with ourselves, and, and this isn't for any of you that maybe haven't followed Jesus for a while, but when's the last, when's the last time that you've come across a, a, a verse of Scripture and you just like, like it just completely wreaked havoc on your life? Like just wrecked your heart and you just stopped. You're like, I, I can't believe that that word is for me. And when's the last time that God's word has just done that and you've just had to sit and you know you can't walk, you want to do stuff, but you don't know what to do. And so it's just, I got to sit in this. I don't, I don't even understand this. I don't get this, but I know that God is saying something to me and you've just been baffled by God's word. You've been taken away by God's word. My, my assumption, if you're anything like me, that doesn't happen too often. And that's really easy for us to get in a moment of like, oh, I stink. I'm horrible. But that's not what Paul's doing here. See, in fact, my bet is if, that, if I asked that question and then said, how would you rate your relationship with Jesus that your numbers would have dropped down a couple? I said, well, maybe it's a two. Maybe it's a three. But see, what, 
what we just read through, what the Apostle Paul is sharing to the church in Ephesus and, 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 and gifted by the Holy Spirit's words, it's now applicable to us. And that is that, that it's not about what we do, it's about what he's doing and done. So you, listen, hear this right now, and we'll get there in chapter two, you know, probably five years from now, but, but <laughs> you at your worst, I mean your absolute worst, is when God adopted you, when God chose you. He doesn't choose you because he's like, oh man, that person's gonna be awesome. No, he came in and adopted you. So what we're gonna do, instead of digging through this word, I wanna give us a chance to sit in it. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna actually read this scripture again, okay? But I want you to do two things during this. I want you, you, gotta, you gotta look at this. You gotta read it with me. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to look at the verbs. If some of you are like, I don't remember, okay. Just pay attention to what God does for us. Just, just identify what he does for us. And I want you to do another thing. And this is, this is dangerous because the book of Ephesians, and we'll get there probably a little bit later, the book of Ephesians is, is, is saturated in communion, community. It's saturated in us theology, where, where my belief and your belief, we are tied together in this as a community, as a family. So it's not a very individual book, although many of us love to think about it that way. When we hear about God choosing me, we put me in there. He says he chooses us. So what I want you to do is as I read through this, instead of the us, put your name in there. Put your name in there. Not because of, we make this about individual, but because I think, if we're honest, just that very first one, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heaven, heavenly places, who has blessed Bren in Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing. I can tell you right now that there's probably not a day that goes by I struggle to believe that. There's not a day that goes by where I'm like, wait, wait, really, me? Every spiritual blessing? Are you sure? And see, this is what I think happened in Ephesus, is that they had spent so much time missing the point in the scripture and the, and the theology and the doctrine, which Paul is trying to, 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 to strengthen them with through the scriptures and through this prayer, that ultimately they... They lost what it meant to be in Christ, to be seated with. You know, Peter tells us that we are co-heirs to the throne. That the inheritance is ours as it is Christ's. We don't believe that. In fact, most of us wrestle to really understand that and say, well, my relationship with God is okay. But if it's what Paul is saying here, then your metric system couldn't be any more wrong. In fact, let me just go to the end for you. At your worst, maybe some of you are like, I made this decision last night and it was sinful and I shouldn't have. This relationship or this alcohol, I keep making the same choice over and over and over again. And you, you, you rated your walk with God through that decision. As if that's how God views you if you're in Christ. It's not a freedom to go on and just keep on sinning. The Apostle Paul talks about that as well. But you got to understand that when we sin at our worst, when we make those poor choices, when we make those mistakes, God isn't any further away from us. It's not like, oh, Bren, you did it again. I just, I just missed you. I couldn't catch you. So let's reread this scripture, and I'm going to ask you at the end to, to help me understand and know what God does for us, okay? 
Verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, the, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and, in honor, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, class, what does God do for us? Interactive. Come on, just yell it out. He what? Say it, say it out loud. There's no wrong. Come on. There's, like he's done lots of things for us. What does he do for us? Given us an inheritance. Yes. And I, sorry, I didn't hear it over here. It said at the same time. He adopted us. Absolutely. What else? He blesses us. Absolutely. What else? He chose us. That's another good one. What else? There's more. Set us free. That's right. What else? He lavished on us. That's another one. Yes. Come on. There's so many in here. Keep going. He's forgiven us. Yes. He's what? gift of faith. That's right. Yes. What else is there? He accepted us. That's good. He sealed us. That's another great one. Come on. There's so much in here. He's redeemed us. That's right. There's more. They're still missing some. Making known us the mystery of things. He's forgiven us. Yes. What else? There's more. Giving us a purpose. That's right. Guys, that's like 11 verses. I... I I'm sorry, but like, I was kind of mad at myself for the fact that I didn't just pause on that. Like in 11 verses, the Apostle Paul just waylays me in the recognition of what God has done for me. I feel like Paul's saying, don't you, don't you guys remember? And he's not doing it in a harsh way. We've already, we've already established this. This book is not a huge rebuke. Yes, the church is way off, and, and Paul's trying to help them in that, but it's such a gentle, loving way to do it. In fact, what Paul does, he says, if I, could just, if I could just establish in you a love for God again, you would see that the choices and the things that you're doing are not of his will, his purpose. In fact, Paul begins this letter as, as he, to Christians as he's meditating on what God's done, and it turns into this overwhelming blessing of who God is and his character. He wells up with it. His desire is that the adoration might overflow to his readers so that us would be stimulated to respond as he does to give glory to God for all the gracious blessings to us. He wishes to evoke an emotional and a cognitive response that wells up with, my goodness, God, you are so good. You are so big. You are so powerful. What you've done for me is ridiculous. It would be really easy for us to 
dig into the theology of this scripture. And I, trust me, we are, like I said, we are going to dig like crazy in this. And I think it's very valuable. But, but we have to establish something first. And I need you to hear this. So look at me, hear this. Your standing with God has nothing to do with what you do. Your being in a right standing with God has nothing to do with you and how good you were or what you did or how you postured yourself has everything to do with him. So when I ask at the beginning, I say, how would you rate your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's a 10. It's perfect. Not because of me, but because it's been sealed by his blood. Not because of what I've done. All I did was get out of the way and surrender to his purposes. So my relationship with Christ is a 10. Last night or the night before, last week, I made a wrong choice. I made this decision. It was sin, but the blood of Christ has paid for that. And so I will rest in that. I will sit in that. See, if we don't establish this, what will happen is that we start doing for God and our doing becomes the metric at which we view as to whether or not we are in right standing with him. We are called to do. In fact, the whole last three chapters talk about what it means to do for God. He's going to establish the walking and the standing in faith. But you cannot walk and you cannot stand if you do not establish sitting first. In fact, think of it this way. You never actually stand up. When you walk in faith and when you stand in faith, you're still seated in Christ. It never ever shifts to where it's like, oh, I've sat long enough. I'm going to go do some stuff now. No, you are to rest, to reside, to meditate on that and that alone. And what's so hard for me is I've seen this in my life, and, and maybe you feel this too. Even as I say these words, and I, I wish I had a bigger vocabulary that maybe could do some justice to how amazing God is, but amazing is the only word I can come up with. But maybe you hear this, and you're like, yeah, I mean, that's neat. I mean, it's kind of cool, I guess. But if you can remember back, Maybe for some of you, it was a long time ago, right? Maybe for some of you, this just hasn't happened yet. And you've assumed it's happened, but it hasn't. And when you first recognized his grace in your life, and it kind of shook you to the core, flattened you like a pancake, and you realized you had no way of getting up without him standing you up by his strength at first. You remember that? It was everything to you. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to establish here. He's saying, guys, it's everything. It is 100% everything to you. It's not just about knowing it here. My assumption is so many of us have a disconnect between our head and our heart. It's not just that. This, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, this is a, a parenting tip. Don't, if you have young kids and you're behind us, don't follow this. But um, something that I did, my youngest daughter, my two-year-old daughter, she was running. She's kind of a tank. She went from like scooting on her, on her butt to like running. That's how she was, but she's just a little uncoordinated still. And she was running into her room and the drawer was open and she fell and hit her head on the corner of a drawer. And so she screamed bloody murder from downstairs. And as the, the dad that's, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, aware and like, oh great, what happened now? Assuming it's just like some toy was stolen or whatever, but she comes up and blood's like falling down her head. And I'm like, oh, well, so thinking like quickly, we got to stop the bleeding. And also, honestly thinking like, I don't want to pay for stitches. Um, I, uh, 
I ran downstairs and grabbed some goss and one of those little butterfly, you know, things. And so I stuffed, shoved the goss in and put the butterfly in and, like, kind of pull so, like, her, you know, her skin's getting folded over. And I'm hoping, like, it doesn't scar too bad. She'll be pretty anyways. It doesn't matter. Um, and so I put that on there and think, okay, good. The blood's not coming out. We're good to go. Everything's okay. You know, she finally calms down. Well, a couple days go by, and I'm like, well, we should probably remove that. But the gauze is like, like crusted blood. Well, Jen and I were headed out of town, so I'm like, hey, Amy, since she's watching the kids, you should try and remove that. Well, see you later. Have fun. And I left town. Well, um, she tried a little bit, and she's like, that is not coming off. Like, there's blood. It's like crusted to it. I'm like, great. I have to do it. All right, so here we go. So Jen and I sit down with Priscilla, and I kind of sit around the table, like on the counter looking at me, and I'm like, okay, Priscilla, we have to take this bandage off. My little two-year-old Priscilla. Yeah. Okay. It's going to hurt a little bit. No. <laughs> but it'll be better. No. I just have to, to, don't touch. No touch. No, you know, pulling away. Which turned into, I kind of had a moment where I realized the kind of parent I was when the windows were open, I was thinking, we should probably close those windows because the neighbors might be thinking we're doing something horrible to our children, right? Because it ended with, Jen, you just got to hold her down. And so Jen's got her pinned down, right? This is winning parenting moment, right? So he's got it pinned down. I'm like soaking the thing to try and get it wet. And I'm like, I just got to pull. And she's screaming like, don't do this to me and don't beat me. And pretty much she sounds like she's saying like, stop killing me. Like I, I felt like any moment the police would break into our house, right? And so it's this horrible thing. But before, so I, I sit her back up before we do it. I'm like, okay, Priscilla, and she, calm down. Shh. Okay, I'm not touching. Okay, no touch. And I was like, okay, this will be good for you. This will be so good for you. This has to happen for you to be healthy, for you to grow, for you to get a non, like, weird bump there. Like, we got to do something about it. It's going to get infected. This will be so good. Yeah. But I have to touch it. No touch. You know, no touch. <laughs> so we had to pin her down, and I ripped it off, and she screamed bloody murder, and the bandage was on there so long that it kind of, it, like, left abrasions right there. Like, awesome, right? So then a couple days later, we put a little, um, we put a little Elsa on a bandage over it, so it was better that time. And so then, like, the next day, I'm like, we should probably pull the Elsa on a bandage. Okay, how are we going to do this? So I sit her on the counter, you know, and she's looking at me. She's like, no touch. <laughs> and so being the awesome parent I am, right, I realize I'm not going through that again. Hey, Priscilla, if you don't freak out and you just keep your hands down, you let daddy help you, I'll give you a gummy bear. Gummy bear? And she let me pull it right off. So that was my parenting win, right? All I needed was a gummy bear. That's the parenting 101 right there, guys, is, in, you know, reward them for that not being bad. That's, no, don't do that. Sorry. Here's the point. Ultimately, if you ask Priscilla today, even when she sees me today, and this is, it helps my insecurities so much. Like every time I come home, she screams, daddy, and comes running to me, right? And it's like, it's the most beautiful and amazing thing ever. And it's like the whole yesterday's torture is gone because she's still going to run in and daddy, and so excited. If you asked her today, who's your daddy? I can guarantee if all of us were lined up, she'd point right at me. She knows I'm her dad. There's no doubt in her mind that I'm her dad. But in that setting, the fear of what was going on took over and she didn't trust me. And ultimately, I think that correlates so well to us and God. We know that he's our father, but really, if we're honest, most of the time, all we want from him is, is his gummy bears. <laughs> right? We're like, you are our father, God. Bless me in my finances. Bless me in my relationships. Bless me in school. Bless me in this. Bless me, bless me, bless me. And when you don't bless me, the wheels come off and I don't know who you are anymore. When all the time you might be saying, no, you, you don't understand, Bren. What I need to do is, is pull this off and it's going to hurt. But I'm doing this because I am blessing you, because I have blessed you. 
and you'll look more like my son, Jesus Christ, which is what I created you for in the beginning anyways. Before the foundation of this earth, I created you for this. And see, I think a lot of us have missed it with God. We've, we've not sat in the truth of what he's done for us. We've just moved on to, okay, let's explain it. Let's do it, because we're excited. Let's evangelize more. Let's do these amazing things more. Let's serve more, and all those things are so good. But we move right past the fact that we need to sit in, the, in what he's done for us. Because when we rest in that, when we rest in the fact that God has blessed us to entirety, in fact, you know what's crazy? It actually brings him joy to bless us. That's like sit in that one for a little bit. While I'm in complete opposition of him, in complete sin, it brings him joy to bless me. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, Jesus says no one shall take you from him. No one. So nothing can separate you from that. So no matter how much of a prodigal son you are, no matter how far you run, you're not any further from God. Have you ever thought about that? And Paul's saying, sit in that. Just sit in that. And then we'll walk. And then those things will come. But, but, but if you don't sit in that, you're going to miss it. And soon enough, down the road, you're going to be all the way off. And maybe you'll be all the way off because you're, you're stuck in your doctrine and your theology. Or maybe you'll be all the way off because you've just missed it. You know what's interesting in Revelations 2? The Apostle John is writing to the church of Ephesus. So we have the church of Ephesus, we get in Acts, Dr. Luke talks about it, and then we have the Apostle Paul writing this book in Ephesians, and then Paul writing to Timothy as the pastor in Ephesus, and it's like all of those sections of, of those writings are about, you're missing it, you're missing it, you're missing it. Here's the understanding, understand your theology, you've missed who Christ is, you've missed who Christ is, you've missed who Christ is. And then the Apostle John, in John and Revelations 2, you missed your first love. They got so steeped in their theology that they forgot to love. If the church in Ephesus who had hands down one of the best pastors ever to live start the church and continually pour into it and they still kept missing it, why would we assume we're not capable of missing it? Why would we start viewing ourselves through our own unhealthy lens of who we are when really Christ has already said who we are? In Christ, we're, we're perfect. In Christ, we're redeemed. In Christ, we're grace in Christ. We're whole and we're complete. And yes, 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 there's still growth and sanctification, all those beautiful things that, that the scriptures teach of us. But it's done by God, not by me, not by you. So maybe it's time for us to just sit in that. And my challenge would be there's not an application, do these six steps. What I am going to offer, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to do. We're going to, we're going to worship some more. And there's two songs. It's, it's interesting. The first one's called I Stand Amazed when we're talking about sitting. Just get past that idea, okay? The, the, whole, <clears throat> the whole point is, is, is the same, and it makes, it, it makes really good sense. It's, it's how marvelous is his love for us. How marvelous is he? And the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this some thousand years ago, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's, he's penning out this, you guys love him. And it's not from a heart of, how dare you don't love him? And it's not from a heart of, do it or else. It's, you've missed it. You've missed who you are. And my bet is right now, if we, I mean, I would love to do this, but I won't. Say, show of hands, who rated themselves at a five or lower? I bet a ton of hands would throw up here. I bet most of us would be like, 
you know, the person that puts a 10, it's like they either cheated or they're just prideful, you know, whatever, right? Our hands should go up because it's not us. Here's the thing. It's not like God, before he knew it, was like, okay, here's Bren. Kind of a hot mess, but I'm going to save him anyways because he's going to do so much for me, and I'm so excited. No, he, he chose me because he loves. You, you realize he doesn't love me any more the more I do for him? He doesn't love me any less the less I do for him? There's so many people here. Like, wait, 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 we can't sin. No, this isn't an excuse to sin. But the point is this. Our love is not connected to what I do or don't do. It's connected to what Christ has done for us on the cross. Praise God for that because none of us are worthy of that love. No matter how good you are. No matter how much better you are than the person sitting next to you. You're not good enough. So band's going to come up. We're going to worship. We're going to sing... How marvelous is his wonderful love for us. I'm probably butchering those lyrics because I don't know how to do that stuff. But then we're also doing Amazing Grace. Two songs that, that, that the point of them is not us. The point of them is him. And so I would encourage you to do one of three things or maybe something else that the Spirit leads. I would encourage you to either stand and sing these songs recognizing that he has loved you. His love for you is complete. It's not incomplete. It's not lacking anything. And it's not looking at you with shame going, well, you know, I would have loved you more today, but honestly, his, his rewards aren't even based on our, our behavior. Really. They're based on his goodness. Or maybe you need to just sit. And maybe right now you just need to spend some time sitting and listening and let these words fall over you because you're having a really hard time believing that these words actually apply to you. Maybe you need to open up Ephesians and you just need to keep reading that first chapter over and over and over and over again until it seeps into your heart and wrecks you. Whatever it may be, I encourage you to do it, recognizing that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've given your life to him as Lord, as Savior, as, as King, then know that these words aren't only true about you but he's made sure to hold the standard of them up in you. You're holy and blameless not because of what you do, but because of what he has done in you. So these words don't just apply to you. These words actually define you. And that's the issue, is that we don't allow ourselves to be defined by this. Instead, we define ourselves by our own standards, our own metrics, and we're using inches while baking, and it doesn't make sense. So whether it's standing or sitting or singing, I pray that, that God, you would do an incredible work in our hearts. For every single individual in this room, I pray that they, they wouldn't be going through the motions. And those that continue to go through the motions, I pray that you'd, you'd bump the, the, the ship. You'd knock them off tracks. You'd bring them to a spot where they realize that the motions aren't doing anything, God. God, for the people in this room that, that identified themselves as a one or a two or a three, please, please break into their hearts. Help them see that you love them. Help them see that you accept them, you created them, you know them. And let that, let that haunt their hearts in a way that just draws them closer to worshiping you. In Ephesians 2.7, it says that the purpose of all of this is that we would marvel at his love for us for an eternity. So God, as we worship, I pray that we'd marvel. 
pray that we would do nothing less than what you deserve, which is everything. And God, for the people in the room that, that maybe have, have experienced this grace and are living in this grace, I pray that you just, you just stoke the fire. Bring about a love that is just incredibly intoxicating, incredibly infectious. And God, for those that continue to, to disconnect their heart from the head, would you do what only you can do, and that's bridge that. Help them understand that the more they know about you, the more they love, it, love you. Help them understand that despite whether or not they feel you, you are ever present. And you've not gone anywhere. You are still speaking to them. Father, for those in the room that, that maybe haven't surrendered to you yet, my heart, my hope is that, that this of all things would sink into them. That there's nothing they could do except surrender to your will. There's nothing that they could do to make you love them more or less. God, that you have, you have grace upon grace. You have more than enough grace for whatever they've done in the past, and you are, you are, you are there to make them new. God, may we worship you because you are worthy of worship. God, may we prostrate ourselves before you because you are king. And Lord, may we never, ever, ever allow the love of anything else to take place of the love of you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.